Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the June 30th, 2023 installment of the Winning Never Sleeps Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brian O'Donnell. You can follow me on Twitter at B O'Donnell WNS. So that's two N's, two L's, and WNS as in Winning Never Sleeps. We got a great show for you today. We're going through running back rankings 11 through 20, and also touch on a couple of running backs who I have on the outside of the top 20 who I think could could make their way into the top 20 before the draft uh, season begins. We're also going to touch on wide receivers 1 through 10. But first, an ad from our sponsor. I want to tell you about a new company, FantasySportsDocs.com, doing something no one has ever seen before in the fantasy football space. I know that almost every league, including those that I play in, has a trophy, belt, or ring for the champion. FantasySportsDocs.com has come up with something that's incredibly unique, affordable 30-for-30 style documentaries about your league's playoffs. I know what you're thinking. This has to be expensive, right? Wrong. Prices start at less than $20 per team in a standard 10- or 12-team league. In fact, some leagues, low as $79, and that's an incredible deal. It has to be time-consuming, right? Wrong. It only takes about three to five minutes per playoff team per round where you answer a series of questions on their easy-to-use video interview platform. You can even do as many takes as you want before you submit your final submission. Just imagine it's your year. It's your first or your 10th championship. A trophy or a belt is nice, but you can't watch it again. It just sits on your desk collecting dust. You can't taunt your teammates from hundreds of miles away by sending them a link to the video just to remind them of your championship. Trophies and belts don't tell your playoff story, but a fantasy sports doc does. Check them out at fantasysportsdocs.com today. NFL news. All right, so there's not a ton of NFL news this week. Uh, most of the NFL news this week was surrounding the suspensions for gambling. Uh, no really fantasy relevant receivers uh, are part of this latest suspension. I think the biggest uh, pieces of news that I that, that that I found the first one was that there was a, a report that Nick Chubb will see an increased usage uh, in the passing game for Cleveland. That's something I'm going to keep an eye on in training camp. Um, if this is true, then it changes Nick Chubb's value. I talked on the last pod about how Chubb is like a really safe late end RB one, but he doesn't really have RB like overall RB one upside, given the fact that he hasn't catch the ball out of the backfield. So if he can somehow add, you know, one to two points per week, just from catching the, catching the ball out of the backfield, it it would greatly enhance his, his overall productivity. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on, but I'll believe it when I see it. This isn't a guy who's like in his second year in the league. And, you know, you could say that there's a small sample size. I kind of feel like we know what he is. Even in college, he didn't catch the ball much. So it's something to keep an eye on, but I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, the Broncos, Cortland Sutton said that they had him studying Michael Thomas 2019 film this offseason. You know, I, I, Michael Thomas was one of the best receivers in the NFL. I think Cortland Sutton's a good receiver, but you know, I, I don't really know what what that's going to do for Cortland Sutton. That's 
that's great that he's studying what Michael Thomas was doing in 2019, running the same offense. Um, and maybe it'll enhance some of his route running and whatnot. But the bigger issue in Denver still revolves around Russell Wilson and just is he is he washed? I don't think he's necessarily completely washed, but I just have a hard time believing that the current version of Russell Wilson could support multiple good receivers. So Sutton's a guy who in the, you know, if if I'm drafting in, you know, the late middle rounds and he's still there, I'll take a flyer on. But I'm not, I would not go into the season saying, hey, Cortland Sutton's one of my starting receivers. I feel good about it. And the last one, the NFL suspended Jaguars left tackle Cam Robinson four games for violating the league's PED policy. He did miss the last five games of 2022 with a knee issue. Um, the only thing that I would say is that anytime a, like a, a big-time offensive lineman misses games for a team, it typically, you know, they might see some more sacks. The running game might not be as effective. Um, so it's not earth-shattering. It's not... You know, I wouldn't change my rankings based on it, um, but it's definitely something we're early in the season. You know, you might not see as much productivity from some of those Jaguars offensive players. But again, we're, these are fractional differences that I, I don't think it would have a, a, a monstrous impact. Running backs 11 through 20. At number 11, Ramondre Stevenson. So obviously New England has a history of running back by committee. But if you look at Bill O'Brien's history as the head coach in Houston, he typically re relied on one bell cow running back. Right now, Ramondre's biggest competition for carries is Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris. There has been some talk coming out of New England that Pierre Strong, they like him in the passing game. But if we look back to last year, Stevenson was great in the passing game. He had 69 catches for 421 yards. I think he's a super safe, low-end RB1. Number 12, Brees Hall. So this is the area of the running back ranks where we get a little bit of question marks. The talent with Brees Hall is undeniable. But as I touched on in the last podcast, his injury issue with the coming off the ACL is my biggest concern. He could rise into the top 10 if he's healthy, but he could also drop deep into low RB2 range. It all hinges on whether or not he's back to full health. Does that happen in the preseason? Does that happen early in the season? Or does it take several weeks, maybe even half the season, for him to get back to full fitness? We've seen it all over the place. While the ACL is not what it used to be, it's still a serious injury. And it's not something that happened before last season even began. So, you know, typically if you're looking at best case six months, worst case 12 months, you know, right around the start of the season, he's going to be in the middle of that range. So, with Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback, this offense should score points. So whoever is playing running back for the Jets early in the season, I want to make sure that I get a hold of, which makes Israel Banacanda an intriguing late-round late option, as well as Michael Carter. Michael Carter may have standalone value as a pass catcher, but a lot remains to be seen. So this is a situation that I'm really keeping an eye on. I want to see what Brees Hall's health is, and then from there I can determine if I want to take a flyer on one of his backups or not. Number 13, Aaron Jones. With Aaron Rodgers gone, and they have an unproven wide receiving core, I think we see a lot of run 
run first offense from, from Matt LaFleur. Aaron Jones's greatest value has been in the passing game, but we don't know what Jordan love a quarterback will mean for him or AJ Dillon at this point. Obviously some quarterbacks are better for, for the short passing game and running backs catching the ball out of the backfield than others. I view him as a high-end RB2 with the potential to get into RB1 territory. Keep in mind, though, he turns 29 during the season, so he's not young for a running back. But given his value in the passing game, that's what makes him safe, in my opinion. Number 14, Joe Mixon. His 2022 was, was highly inefficient. He did finish as a top 10 running back. But remember, he did have one game where he scored about 50 points. He only had a 3.9 yards per carry and averaged 58 yards per yards per game on the ground. Given that, he did have a career-high 32.15 yards per game in the air. So he had a career-high in receptions, in receiving yards. I have him right here for now because he is the unquestioned starting running back in a great offense. But there are some questions regarding his legal situation, his contract situation, and just the overall situation between him and the Cincinnati Bengals. If you, I've always thought that it, you sort of judge a team not by what they say, but what by what they do. And if you look at it, they took a fifth round running back and they kept Joe Mixon. He is the running back right now. And if they were to get rid of Joe Mixon, who's playing running back for it? It's, I don't think they have anybody they can really rely on. Trayvon Williams or Chase Brown is going to be the starting running back in Cincinnati in this offense. I mean, obviously they would have great value, but it certainly seems like they plan on riding in 2023 with Joe Mixon. Samaj P. Ryan has gone to Denver, and he was heavily involved in the passing game on third down. So that just adds more opportunity for Joe Mixon to be involved in the passing game, which we know he has the ability to do, he just hasn't been used that way throughout his career for the most part until last year. He's a player that I will likely own a lot of because of where he can be drafted right now. But I would see if he's the running back in Cincinnati and the clear cut running back in Cincinnati, the closer we get to the season, the more likely it is that his, that his ADP will significantly rise. Number 15, Travis ATN. He had a very up-and-down year last year. He got off to a bit of a slow start, had a great sort of third quarter of the season, and then, uh, you know, week 17, had a great first half against Houston in a meaningless game. So he was kind of all over the place. He had a better second half than a first half. They did add Calvin Ridley in the passing game, which should help the running game. But they drafted Tank Bigsby out of Auburn in the third round of the draft. Bigsby is much more of a power back, power runner. And I'll be curious to see if he gets the majority of the goal line work this season. Last season, ATN had 14 rushes inside the five, scoring on only three of them. If you compare that to some of the more efficient goal line backs in the NFL, they converted over 40% of their carries inside the five. And Derrick Henry converted over 50% of his carries inside the five. And I know Derrick Henry is a bit of an exception, but there's a big difference between, you know, three out of 14 and, and being, you know, in the 40 and 50% area inside the five yard line. So if he's not getting goal line work, I understand that's potentially him only losing three touchdowns off his totals. And if he gets used more between the twenties, then it's all good. 
but there's still a lot of volatility there in Jacksonville in terms of how much workload is ATN actually going to get? Number 16, Kenneth Walker. Speaking of goal line work, he scored in only two out of 10 rushes inside the five yard line. So an even worse percentage and output than Travis ATN. For a guy who's a really powerful runner, typically he has not been efficient at the goal line. Seattle, obviously because Pete Carroll hates fantasy owners, drafted Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA in round two of the NFL draft. And that's really concerning to me. Combined with my love of Jackson Smith and Jigba and their overall receiving core, there's volume questions here. On talent alone, I think Kenneth Walker's a top 10 running back. But what about his workload? Charbonnet in, at UCLA was really good at the goal line. He was also really good catching the ball out of the backfield. Two things that Kenneth Walker in the NFL has not been able to do. My fear here is that even though Kenneth Walker is really talented, this could easily turn into some sort of 50-50 timeshare. So this is a situation to keep an eye on. Mainly, I want to see what Seattle is doing with Zach Charbonnet during, the, during training camp. What kind of reports are coming out about you know, workload during practice? You know, who's splitting? Are they splitting time with the ones? Is it mainly Kenneth Walker? Zach Charbonnet is lurking in that Seattle backfield, and that's very concerning to me. So right now, I have him as an RB2. He could rise into RB1 territory if Charbonnet is a non-factor, but he could also drop drop to the back end of RB2, maybe even into RB3 territory if this does turn into a true running back by committee. Number 17, Dalvin Cook. Let's consider this a placeholder for now. Obviously, wherever he signs will have a huge impact on the final rankings. It's a lot like real estate, like I touched on before. It's all about location with Dalvin. He's been linked with the Jets and Miami, among other places, but those are the two thus far that have had the most buzz. We know that Miami made him an offer. Clearly, it wasn't to his liking. Otherwise, he would have taken the deal. But if I'm just looking at those two locations, I'd rather him in Miami as the clear-cut, most talented running back in the backfield as opposed to what him landing in New York would mean. If he goes to New York, that's severely damages Brees Hall's value and it hurts Dalvin's value as well. It would be a true timeshare. And I just wouldn't see a path for either one of them to end up as a top five running back. So I'm hoping that he doesn't end up in New York, uh, but it, it definitely sounds like a possibility at this point. We'll wait and see. Number 18, I got James Conner. Conner's a, a solid running back. But the key here is that he's the unquestioned number one running back in Arizona. Kyler Murray is most likely to miss time early in the season, at a minimum, given it was a late-season ACL injury, and he's a mobile quarterback. Typically, mobile quarterbacks coming off an ACL, teams like to give them as much healing and rehab time as possible as opposed to a pocket passer because that knee is going to be put to the test week in and week out. Obviously, in the pocket, a pocket passer can you know, get by with limited limited mobility. Um, so that's really important to keep in mind. So if we're looking at Colt McCoy being the quarterback early in the season, why don't we go back and look at what Arizona did after Kyler Murray got injured last year? When Murray got injured at the end of last year, 
Connor put up 435 total yards and three touchdowns in those four games. That's a really good output. They leaned heavily on the running game. And I think he's a safe RB too, but he lacks high-end upside. In a similar boat is number 19, Alexander Madison. I've got him here for now because he's the number one running back in a good Minnesota offense. My concern with him is that I question the talent, his overall talent level. And I guess I'm going to talk out of both sides of my ass right now, but over the course of his last two seasons, and I know this is in limited work, but he averaged 3.8 and 3.7 yards per carry. That's not highly efficient. When you compare that to Dalvin Cook, for example, it was highly inefficient. But the thing that gives me hope with Alexander Madison is in games where he started, he's six games in his career where Dalvin Cook was not around. So he's the starter in these games. He averaged 115.5 total yards and had five touchdowns in those six games. If you extrapolate that over the course of an entire season, that's high-end RB1 upside. But again, I don't... Over 17 games, is he really that talented? I don't know the answer to that. And I think that you're going to have to make guesses and assumptions using your own intuition as to whether or not you think he's a really talented running back or not. I think that it, he'll end up as a solid RB2 with the potential to get into RB1 if all goes well. But his final ADP will sort of determine how many teams of mine that he's on. Number 20, Jameer Gibbs. The Lions draft room showed just how excited they were when they drafted him. There have been rumors coming out of Detroit that they view him in the Alvin Kamara mold. So I'm expecting some sort of situation in their backfield. Think New Orleans with Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara, where Murray provided the banger role. That, in this case, would be David Montgomery. And then Gibbs provides the Swiss Army knife. Gets some carries, gets a lot of usage in the passing game. He could soar up my rankings before the season starts. But I need a little bit more information regarding his planned usage, you know, hopefully coming out of training camp. Outside the top 20, there are a couple of running backs who I'm sort of keeping my eye on. Damian Pierce, his situation in Houston intrigues me. I'm not a Devin Singletary believer. You know, in games where Damian Pierce got work last year, he put up really good stats. But he's also never really shown an ability to handle an incredibly high workload, whether at the college level or the NFL level. So he's a running back that I like. I just don't really know what his upside is, especially in that offense where I just question the, the, the rookie quarterback and CJ Stroud and just their overall pass game situation. This might be another situation where there's just a ton of stacked boxes and you know, inefficient running game, and then they're losing a lot of games. So it's who's getting the pass game work. I think it's a situation I probably want to avoid, but I'm, I sort of take a wait and see approach on that. Miles Sanders in Carolina. Carolina was really efficient running the ball last year. Obviously, they have a new coaching staff, which will play up, you know, which will factor into whether or not they run the ball with the same efficiency this coming season. But Miles Sanders was good in Philly last year. But how much of that was because Jalen Hurts was was playing quarterback and was such a running threat himself that it that it just 
distracted rush defenses they where they had to it kept them honest they had to account for Jalen Hurts on every single play rookie quarterback in Carolina I'm keeping an eye on Miles Sanders but he, I wouldn't draft him anywhere higher than a mid RB2 I also have Cam Akers lurking on the outside and Alvin Kamara Kamara's situation is purely contingent upon what kind of suspension he's going to get We've heard rumors of anywhere from four to eight games. Obviously, an eight-game suspension is a season crippler. And unless I was in a, uh, a keeper league or, or something along those lines where, you know, by the end of round four, my starting lineup was set and I had the – I could afford to draft an Alvin Kamara in the middle rounds. If he's suspended for eight games, then his, his value is completely submarined. It, it's a situation where – if you don't have your starter set, you can't be drafting a guy who's not going to be available to you for the first nine, first eight weeks of the season. It just it's not it's not practical, and it's it's a hindrance to your roster construction. I would probably let someone else draft him and then trade for him later in the season when that team is out when that team is out of it. Cam Akers. The biggest thing here is I need to see what kind of health situation that Matthew Stafford has. I want to know how good is this L.A. offense going to be realistically so that I can determine how many, you know, goal line rushing situations they might be in, how many touchdowns are realistic in this type of offense. Obviously, the better the offense, the more touchdowns that are available for everybody. So I think that these guys are tail end RB2s with the potential to work their way into the top 20, but I have serious reservations about each situation. Moving over to wide receivers. Wide receivers, number one through 10. Number one, Justin Jefferson. I don't know what, what else I can say about him. 1,800 yards, nine total touchdowns. He's as automatic as they come and as, as, as elite as they come. He had 304.6 total points and half point scoring in 2022, which was number one last year. He was also wide receiver number four in 2021. Number two, Cooper Cup. Cup is someone I differ on the most. Obviously, I understand that he's coming off a, an injury. He missed a significant portion of last year. He did put up 1,947 yards and 16 touchdowns in 2021, which is a total that would blow Justin Jefferson's 2022 season out of the water. If you do the math on Cup when he did play last year, yes, he had a lower yards per catch than normal. But in nine games in 2022, he put up 165.9 points. If you extrapolate that over a 17-game season, he would have finished around 313 points. That's more than Justin Jefferson finished as, as RB number one. Wide receiver number three, Jamar Chase. Chase has wide receiver number one overall potential. He led the league in drop points last year and still finished with 16.9 points per game. Keep in mind, Justin Jefferson only put up 17.8 points per game. So that little difference of some drops here and there, if he can improve on that, he certainly has the ability to go number one in terms of receivers. Number four on my list is Tyreek Hill. Obviously, Tyreek Hill is, is absolutely electric. We did touch on uh, last week his uh, 
Miami Marina incident or South Florida Marina incident where uh, there apparently might be charges pressed. Uh, you know, obviously, given his history with, uh, let's say, let's just say his off the field history, uh, rather than getting myself in trouble here. You know, you have to deal with that uh, when you when you draft Tyreek Hill. Um, when you're drafting, and somebody once told me that, I, literally, I would draft anybody. It doesn't matter what their off the field issues are, or you know, that I separate the fantasy from. Uh, from their actual character. Uh, you, you don't need to be a great human being, but again, this is this is everybody's decision as to whether or not you want to draft somebody. Personally, Tyreek Hill is a guy that I tend to shy away from given his off-the-field issues, um, but it's up to each individual owner to decide. What surprised me about Tyreek Hill uh, in 2022 was that he didn't miss a beat going from Kansas City to Miami. Um, and what also surprised me was that both he and Jalen Waddell were significantly fantasy relevant. Hill saw more volume because he's the stir, he's the straw that stirs the the drink in Miami. Um, you know, he didn't experience a drop off. I'll get to Jalen Waddle in a little bit. He saw less volume, but more explosive plays. Number five, Devontae Adams. So Adams left Rodgers and you know, he left the Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, and he obviously had a great season in Las Vegas last year. But I think there's a big difference between going from Derek Carr, who I'm not in love with, and I obviously I prefer a healthy Jimmy G, but Jimmy G hasn't passed his physical. There's still questions about who's going to be playing quarterback for the Raiders this season. Now, I actually had to look this up because I genuinely did not know who the backup quarterback in, in Las Vegas was. And it turns out it's Brian Hoyer. I would much rather a healthy Jimmy Garoppolo instead of Brian Hoyer. And I also have to add, I didn't even know Brian Hoyer was still in the NFL. I thought he was washed up almost 10, like eight or nine years ago. I mean, he when he was on the Bears, I thought he was at the tail end of his career. So learning that he's still in the league and actually has a chance to play this year, it's kind of mind-blowing. If, if Jimmy G is not going to play this year or he can't pass the physical and they end up cutting him or something like that, then Adams is going to significantly drop down my board. He's definitely going to be behind the next next wide receiver which is number six, Stefan Diggs. He finished wide receiver number four last year in total points in half-point PPR scoring. Look, Stefan Diggs, he's a guy that I really like, and, you know, I think the reason why he finished wide receiver number four last year was because of the number of games that Jamar Chase and Cooper Cup missed. I like them more than I like Diggs, but Diggs is still a great wide receiver, and I have no issue drafting him at the back end of round number one or early round two. Uh, right now, he's my number 14 player overall. So if I if I am drafting in the early part of round two, maybe on the turn, then this is definitely a guy that I'm targeting along with one of my one of the running backs in that range as well. Number seven, C.D. Lamb. He was wide receiver number six last year. They did add Brandon Cooks, but that doesn't really concern me. I, Brandon Cooks was very unimpressive in Houston last year. And C.D. Lamb has had other second bananas in Dallas. He was very fantasy relevant, even opposite Amari Cooper. Uh, he's had Michael Gallup. You know, they've had weapons. They had Dalton Schultz, who is no longer there. So that the addition of Cooks doesn't really concern me. He is the go-to wide receiver on this team. And I think he's very safe in this wide receiver seven 
probably six to eight range is where I think he'll end up finishing the season, but really good player, uh, really good after the catch. And I would have no concerns drafting him in the early part of round two. Number eight, AJ Brown. The Eagles offense was awesome. And it, I expect it to be awesome again. But once again, the issue with AJ Brown, there's always a couple issues with him. He relies on the big play. And it's an offense that likes to run the ball. So both in Tennessee and in Philadelphia, you know, he did his damage on 88 catches last year. I don't think he's a candidate to be a guy who's going to go catch 110 passes just because the offense that he's in and being opposite Devontae Smith, who's going to get plenty of work himself. I just don't think that there's enough targets to get over the hundred mark. However, with his explosiveness, I would expect him to put up a similar season as he did last year. He's somebody who consistently puts up between nine and 11 touchdowns. And if he can get around that 88 reception mark again, that I see no reason why he won't repeat what he did last year. Number nine, Amon Ross, Sam Brown, or as I like to call him, Amon Ross, and Sam Brown. If you want to talk about hundred catches, he's been great since coming into the league and flashing at the tail end of his rookie year. The guy was a fourth round pick coming out of USC but he had a lot of pedigree coming out of high school. He was a very big time recruit out of, out of Southern California. Obviously his uh, older brother uh, had gone to Notre Dame, Equinemius, and is now with the Chicago Bears. If you look at his numbers from last year, he put up 100 catches and 1,100 receiving yards in just over 15 games. Keep in mind, he got a concussion very early in a game against Dallas early in the year, missed that entire game, Literally, I think it was the first catch of the game. One catch, four yards, maybe a minute into the game. So he missed an entire game. He then misses the following week because of the concussion, because they were coming onto a bye week. So in 15 games, he had 100 catches for 1,100 yards. That's an incredible production for 15 games. You know, you extrapolate that a little bit more. If he plays a 17-game set, you're probably looking at in the 100, you know, 115 catches, maybe 12 or 1,300 yards. So he is somebody who in a full PPR or a half PPR has increased value. Keep in mind as well in Detroit, Jamison Williams is suspended and DJ Chark is gone. They did add a rookie tight end, but who knows, you know, while I like Laporta, I don't think that he's really going to eat into St. Brown's volume. The bigger question is how much work does Jameer Gibbs get in the passing game if they are going to use him in an Alvin Kamara type role. That remains to be seen. But I think that in terms of clear cut number one, who is really not under threat for being the the pr- predominantly targeted receiver on his team, St. Brown is as safe as they come. And I, I would fully expect him to finish uh, as a wide receiver one in all formats. Number 10, Jalen Waddle. So his rookie numbers, if you go back to his rookie year, would remind you of Amon Ross St. Brown. High volume, low yards per catch. But he followed it up last year after the trade for Tyreek Hill with 75 catches, only 75 catches, for 1,356 yards and eight touchdowns. He is the number two in this offense, but he'll have plenty of boom weeks opposite Tyreek Hill. The, the way Tyreek stretches the field, you can't help but, but have that, that happen. They're... They're both turbocharged and and we'll see plenty of work. The biggest issue that I have with Waddle 
is what is the health of Tua? Last year when Tua picked up the concussions and he missed several games, it was in those games that Tyreek Hill didn't see much of a drop-off. But Waddle did from a volume perspective. He still had a couple of touchdowns and some big plays, but he didn't have anywhere near the volume as he did as when Tua was the quarterback. This year, the backup is Mike White. Mike White had some productive games for the Jets last, last year, was able to spread the ball around. I feel better about that situation than the Skylar Thompson car wreck that we saw last year. Coming up on Tuesday, I'll be covering wide receivers 11 through 20 and tight ends 1 through 12. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at WNS and give a five-star review on whatever platform you're getting this podcast. Much appreciated as I try to grow this podcast, and I will speak with you on Tuesday.